2,000 years ago, Jesus chose 12 men. 12 simple men, if I might add, to be his disciples. And in only a few years, these men were accused, as we read in the, gospel, or the book of Acts, these men were accused of turning the world upside down. They turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. They took the gospel everywhere they could. You read Paul, uh, what Paul the apostle said on so many occasions, he wanted to go here and there with the gospel. He was not looking for the next best opportunity. He was not an opportunist. He was not looking for, uh, you know, to travel, to be a tourist. He was wanting to take the gospel to every corner of the world. But it started with Jesus and the 12 disciples, his inner circle of 12. It's interesting, you see Jesus, you see the inner, the inner, inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, his you know, three inner circle. Then you see the 12. But there were actually more than 12 disciples. Did you know that? Many people followed Jesus. But we hear about the 12. That's the, uh, the inner circle that traveled with him for those three years. And when you look at these men, you realize there was not too much special about them. And quite honestly, I'm not sure if we would pick these 12 uh, to spread the gospel message. I once read a funny story. It was a, supposed to be an email sent to Jesus from the Jordan Management Consultants. And it goes like this. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background education and vocational aptitude. And uh, they don't have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. And the email goes on to say, Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. And we feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. Uh, He meets people well. He has a keen business mind. And has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your right-hand man. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Why in the world did Jesus choose the 12 that he chose? Some of them were immature and impulsive. None of them had seminary degrees. Uh, They weren't well-educated. They weren't ordained. They were a bit rough around the edges. But their personality problems didn't seem to matter to Jesus. What mattered to Jesus was their obedience. 
Jesus simply said, follow me. And then three and a half years later, he said, go and make disciples. Following Jesus comes at a cost. As you see there in verse number 25, Jesus says, uh, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, you, may, you might say, wait a minute. Hate my father and my mother? He says, hate his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, and even his own life. You might be saying, well, why would Jesus teach us here to hate our family? Because that contradicts the rest of the Bible. Uh, you think about how that the Bible tells us that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. That goes against hating your father and mother that Jesus just commanded here. The Bible says for husbands to what? Love their wives. That goes against what Jesus is saying here. We're supposed to love our children. The, uh, the unnatural affection is what is we call, uh, the Bible calls unnatural affection. That's what abortion is, killing your children. See, again, it's being lied to. Really, uh, who would kill their own child? Except they're being lied to and being told that that's not actually a child. You know, the child, in, th- that baby in the womb, life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. That is a child, a human being. But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love our children. That's natural, but that, that just comes naturally. That's in us, to love our children and our family. But you have to understand how Jesus uses the word hate here. He doesn't use it to mean that we despise our family. It doesn't mean that we uh, were to hate them in the sense that we think of it today. The Bible uses the word in, in a way to, to show us that we need to choose who we love most. Who we're going to put first. Put in your margin, if you would, Matthew 6, verse 24. Matthew six twenty four. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is he saying? He's saying that you have to make a clear choice. Jesus is saying that I have to come before all human relationships. Do you love Jesus Christ that much? You know, I can say this morning that I know that my wife loves me more than, or loves Jesus more than she loves me. And you might be saying, well, pastor, why, why are, how are you okay with her loving Jesus more than she loves you? Because the more that my wife loves Jesus, the more she can love me. The more that you love others, or the more you love Jesus, the more you can love others. How do you spell joy? Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. See, we've got that all mixed up in this world, don't we? Put yourself first. Me first, me first, me first. And then some people say, well, not myself first, but others first. 
but they forget about God. My friend, God will not take second place to anything else or anyone else. Put Jesus first, and my friend, you will have the best relationships humanly. You will have the right relationship with your spouse if Jesus is first. You will have the right relationship with your children if Jesus is first. Let's always keep that in mind. Put God first, and things will fall into place where they're supposed to. Do we love Jesus that much? See, there comes a time when we have to make that choice. Sometimes we have to make it on a regular, daily, daily basis. Uh, Those who put their children, as uh, parents of missionaries, they put their children on planes. Uh, You know, years and years ago, uh, missions, uh, world missions is actually more of a, um, sad to say, our modern mission movement is only a few hundred years old. Before that, not as many people were uh, going from their home countries and leaving and, and going to far, far places. But in England and in America, we have seen hundreds and thousands of people leave to go to Africa and the Far East and to go to South America now and to other countries to give their life. And years ago, when you would send a missionary, it was like a funeral. They would pack their belongings in a coffin because they never planned to come back. Now, I'm thankful that we can have missionaries come back like we had this Thursday with the Kinyonga family and to have them come from Tanzania and share what God is doing there in Tanzania. Praise God for planes and and for the ability to move around the world uh, very rapidly and to be able to get some reprieve and come back on furlough and uh, because mission work is not that easy. I'm thankful for our missionaries and I'm looking forward to in uh, the end of October our missions conference. And I plan on being here the last Thursday and Friday of the month of October. And, uh, but our missionaries uh, have made sacrifices. And uh, those who put their children on planes and they see them fly uh, to that mission field, uh, they know their children love them. But they love Jesus more. And so they say goodbye to do what Jesus would have them do. Do you love Jesus that much? to leave what you are used to, what you're comfortable doing. If God's moved in your heart to go to the mission field, don't say no to God just because you've never been to the mission field. If God's moving you to do something, don't be afraid. Trust the Lord and step out in faith. But also, my friend, if God's moving in the hearts of one of your family members to go to the mission field, don't stop them from doing what God would have them do. It's sad to say that sometimes spouses even threaten a spouse who is called to the mission field. And by the way, I believe that if God calls one, he calls them both because they're one flesh. But uh, I've heard of, uh, of wives, and I don't always want to, I don't want to give a bad rap to the women, okay? Because, uh, you know, those husbands can be scoundrels too. But I heard of a wife that said that she was going to divorce her husband. She told him, I'm going to divorce you if you go to the mission field. My friend... Are we really surrendered to the Lord? If God calls us to do something, are we going to do it? Are we willing to give up our children? You might say, well, that's for the other uh, families. Let their children go to the mission field. Let their children uh, serve God full time. Let their children do it. Not my kids. My friend, I believe that God is speaking to some hearts this morning. 
I believe that God is speaking to our hearts. And we have to ask this question. Are you a disciple? Are you listening? Do you have ears to hear this morning? Are you listening to what the Lord is saying? I believe the Holy Spirit is, is prompting us to ask that question. Don't turn me off. Don't turn me off. Ask yourself, am I a disciple? So how do I become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let's start with what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 4.19. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But before he said, follow me, in Matthew 4, verse 17, he called his disciples. Before he called them, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a need for us to repent of our sins. Are you saved? That's the first question this morning. Uh, in, in the quest for am I a disciple? Are you saved? Are you saved? That's the very first thing we should ask ourselves. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Saved from your sin, right? For by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And so the question is, are you saved? Are you saved by grace? You know, the Bible says that the devils have an intellectual understanding of who God is, who Jesus is. They believe and tremble, the Bible says. But it doesn't mean that they're saved from their sin. And so, uh, because we're the ones that Jesus died for. And we're the ones that can be saved. And so this morning, yes, we're sinners, but Jesus died for our sin, and you need to come to Him by grace through faith. Put your trust, your faith in Him, what He's done for you, and He has done the rest. And so repentance is not a work uh, for salvation. Uh, repentance begins with faith, but that faith unlocks the door to God's grace, and through grace we can live out our faith in God. Repentance begins with salvation, but it continues through sanctification. Okay? So when you get saved, you're saved by grace through faith. There's no works involved there. It's just a, an exercise of the will. It's saying, I choose to receive salvation. I praise God. Jesus died for me. I can't work my way into heaven. I can't be baptized or do any of these things to earn salvation. It's all by grace through faith. But then after I'm saved, something changed inside. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you can write that down. But, but the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, that means if you're saved, he is a new creature. You're a new creation. You were created anew. Uh, and it's a work that begins on the inside. Praise God. He starts on the inside, but it's a work that should be transformational on the outside as well. And so that's what our sanctification is. Salvation, the work that began in our spirit, in our inside, and we are renewed, we're revived, we're made alive because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but because Jesus saved us, the Holy Spirit quickens us makes us alive and that work then begins and you begin to see the transformation sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's quick but i'm i'm so thrilled to see the work of god in people's lives when somebody who is a drunk they get saved and they never touch alcohol again never go to aa never go to any of these other programs but because the work that happened on the inside sometimes it has an instant transformation on the outside certain things just go praise god for that and then some things are a struggle because it's a continual work. And there's some things that just hang on. 
But there's never an excuse to continue in sinning. Ro- read Romans chapter 6 when you have time. But the Bible says, should we continue in sin that grace should, should abound? God forbid. We shouldn't continue living as a sinner. Because we're not sinners anymore. We're sinners saved by grace. We're a saint, the Bible says. We're sanctified. And so we should change from the inside out. And so uh, the things I used to do, you know the song, I don't do them anymore. Do you know that song? Okay. Just, uh, that was, sounded a little bit uh, reluctant. I didn't know if you, you're like, yes, I know that one. Don't make us sing it, Pastor. The things I used to do, I, hey, if we have to sing junior church songs in here to get this down, then we will. And I know you understand this concept. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But there's somebody here that really needs to hear this. Somebody here needs to hear this. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore because there's been a great change since I've been born again. I've been born again. And if you've been born again, you should rejoice in your heart this morning. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You've been saved. And the Bible says that we were uh, brought up from that horrible pit Sometimes we like to say, well, you know, Egypt wasn't that bad. That's the devil. Some of you weren't saved from, you know, the dregs. You don't have a rescue mission story, you know. You weren't saved, you know, strung out on drugs or whatever. That doesn't mean that, that it was any less of a miracle, okay? And uh, some of you that grew up in a Christian home, you think, eh, you know, the world's not that bad. You know, I'm all for getting our kids to work in the bus ministry. Because when you work in the bus ministry or an outreach like that, many times you get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. You really see the unvarnished truth. I'm not saying you have to expose your young children to the worst of the worst things that are going on. But you don't have to go very far when you knock on doors in this city to see the result of a life lived in sin. And so a child like myself who grew up without having to go through all of the battles and things that some of you went through, it was a blessing to see, you know what, that's a life I want to avoid. I don't want to go through that. And guess what? I'm the person that had to learn the hard way on a lot of things. I had to learn the hard way. But if you have a stubborn, hard-hearted, hard-headed child, hey, take them to the bus route and say, this could be what happens if you don't trust and follow Jesus with your life. So how do you become a disciple? Number one, are you saved? If we truly trust Christ, that trust shows up in how we live. If you really believe something, you will begin to change your behavior. It's true. It's true. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you to be fishers of men. And I heard somebody say, If you're not fishing for men, meaning that you're not out soul winning, you're not out reaching people, not just hand out a track, do things like that. If you're not actively fishing for men, are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? That was the very basic thing. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to be fishing men. Hey, you need to be on that journey of soul winning. We need to be working towards uh, witnessing. And the Bible says that uh, we're supposed to go. Not wait for them to come to us. 
Be active in this thing and be out there witnessing. And uh, so uh, are you saved, number one? Number two, are you submitted to the Lord uh, of grace? I've heard somebody say this once. You know, we, we know Psalm 23. That's my favorite psalm. One of my favorite. I love Psalm 19, Psalm uh, 23, and Psalm 119 is great as well. There's many good, good ones. Psalm 63, Psalm uh, 34. But Psalm 23, many of you know, it's probably the most famous psalm. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you know the, probably the rest of the, the passage there. The Lord is my shepherd. I heard somebody say this one time. Okay, the Lord is your shepherd. Think of that as, praise God, I'm saved. He's my shepherd. But then he turned it around and he said, now, is the shepherd your Lord? Never thought of it that way. Is he my Lord? And that's what we're getting to right now. Are you saved, number one, but are you submitted to the Lord? Is he your Lord? And uh, uh, have you ever thought what that word Lord means? We sometimes think of it as another name for God, but actually it is a title. Uh, is Jesus your Lord and Master? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You don't have to turn there, but if you would, please listen as I read these two verses here. You can write this down in your margin and your notes. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Paul says, and he's speaking to a carnal church. He had already called them carnal. He said, you guys are carnal. You're worldly. You're fleshly. He says, what? That's how he starts. It's this one one word with a question mark. What? You say that with me? Okay, now ask yourself this, okay? Let's all ask ourselves. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? What does that mean? Our body is a temple for God. Our body is God's temple. I've heard the uh, secular world, and they say, your body is a temple. Yes, it is. It's God's temple, amen? This is God's temple if you're saved. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And this is important, and ye are not your own. For ye are, and I love this, ye are bought with a price. Well, what does that mean? You're well, number one, you're not your own because you were purchased by God, but you were bought with a price. See, salvation is free, but it wasn't free to God. See, it cost him his son. That was the price that was paid for our salvation. We were purchased of God. May we get this concept. See, in America, many churches are, are teaching this morning, you're a good person. Uh, you deserve the very best. You deserve it. Discover how much you deserve all of these things. And if you will send $1,000 in today, you know, or whatever, I'll send you, a, <laughs> I'll send you a, a, a prayer hanky, you know, and whatever. But the truth is, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. And actually, we never really did. Because before we were saved, we didn't belong to ourselves we belong to the devil. The devil doesn't want you to know that. In fact, the devil's quite all right without, with you not believing in him. 
The devil doesn't really want you to believe in him. Because if the devil can get you to, to not believe in him, then you might not believe in hell, and then you might not believe in God. So, he says, and I need to finish the verse here, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, verse 20, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You might be saying this morning, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give God everything. Hey, it doesn't matter if you want to or not. It's already his. <laughs> Paul's just letting us know. We don't belong to ourselves. And the sooner that we realize that and the sooner that we surrender to the Lord, the, much, uh, the more blessed we will be in our life. I want you to live a blessed life. And God wants you to live a blessed life. You know why you don't have joy? You might, re you might phrase it, I'm not very happy. The reason we don't have joy is because we think we, we belong to ourselves. And we're so self-centered. We're self-centered. You know, that's just a principle. If we would learn to put others first, just put others first, we would be that much more joyful in our life. But when you learn to put God first others second, yourself last, then you have abundant joy in your life. I'm glad I believe that, and I hope you do too. But the problem is that many in our churches want to confess that Jesus is Lord, yet they don't believe that he is their master. They are, essentially, they are a follower who does not follow. And so, they're not really a disciple See, if Jesus is Lord, then he gets to set the agenda. It's not us that tell God what to do. Sometimes we think it's our job to tell God. We, we have to inform God about all the things that he needs to know. You know, my friend, prayer is not telling God something he doesn't know. It's just saying to God, I'm surrendering. It's more, uh, it is for the Lord. We're worshiping him through our prayers. He loves our prayers. But my friend, it's, it's helpful for us to realize through prayer that we're, we're submitting to God. That's us taking our problem that we're so frustrated about and we're so overwhelmed with. And, and, and we're saying, God, I'm done with this. And I know you've got it under control. That's, that's a blessing. And so if we would just come to that realization that we need to let him set the agenda. He's in control. Let him be in control. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then your life belongs to him. You don't get to tell him what you'll be doing for, the rest, for today or the rest of your life. Following Jesus is summed up in these two commands. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the Pharisees had really convoluted things. I mean, there was a lot of things that God had told the Israelites, he had given them many commands. 
But we look at the Ten Commandments, right? And the teaching of the prophets. Those are things that are given to all people, not just to Jews. Not just to his, uh, the Jewish people in that time. But Jesus says that all the law and all the prophets can be summed up in this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so if we're going to love the Lord thy God, our God, with all our heart, soul, and mind, it's not keeping a bunch of rules. It's not uh, following God. It's not keeping a bunch of rules. It is learning to love God and enjoying his fellowship. And when you truly love the Lord, you will end up living for the Lord. You live for what you love. You know that to be true, don't you? You live for what you love. And so, John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I say, how about your, how about your neighbors? How about the people that are not very nice in your neighborhood? I've got a few of those. I've got some curmudgeons that live on my street. And how about you? Thankfully, they don't all live next door to me. But you might be in that situation right now where you've got a next door neighbor that is just, just hard to deal with. Maybe they're just kind of grumpy. Maybe they're aggressive. Who knows what the situation is. But how about your neighbor uh, next door at your house, your apartment, or maybe your next door neighbor at work? Some of you have a next door neighbor at work who is grumpy, uh, who needs Jesus. Amen. Maybe your boss, maybe your relatives, maybe your spouse. You've got some, some burdens that you're carrying. But John told us in 1 John 4.20 that if we don't love the people that we can see around us, then we don't actually love God who we can't see. And so our mission field in showing our love to Christ is to love the people that he loves. So are you willing to be a missionary on your block? Now, God might not have called you to Tanzania like he did for Mashama Kinyonga. God might not be calling you to go to a foreign land or a foreign city, but God is calling us to go somewhere. Isn't that true? Is that true? Is it a lie? No. How about your neighbors? That's your mission field. You might be saying, well, pastor, I give to missions. I give to missions. That's my job. You know, God has given me that gift. I have the gift of giving. If you're too embarrassed to serve the Lord as a missionary, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. So as you look at your life today, let me ask you, ask yourself, as you look at your life today, how well are we doing at showing our love for God? Are we out there? Are we sharing the love of Christ with others? Are we living out the commands of Christ, the, uh, the life of Christ here on earth? See, Jesus didn't leave us here so we could just, you know, have a free... It's not, it's not recess, okay? You know, sometimes we think, you know, well, the teacher's not here, 
so we can just do whatever we want. But the Holy Spirit is in us, and the command of Jesus was given to us. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And that includes Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That includes your block. That includes your, your neighborhood. And by the way, we can really go into all the world from Milwaukee. Did you know that? Uh, through the internet. I mean, there's lots of opportunities to reach the world through the internet because there's people that are watching the live stream from really essentially around the world. But also, uh, we have the world coming to our cities. So, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be able to get away from this, okay? This is the, the command of God. Let's just embrace this. Let's just say, Lord, I, I am saved. Maybe you are saved. Maybe this is you this morning. You say, I'm saved. I, I'm, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I, I'm forgiven of my sins, but I have not been faithful. Or I have not, I, I just haven't started in soul winning. Hey, let's not talk about yesterday. As Paul said, we're going to put that in the past, but we're going to reach forward to what God has for us today and tomorrow, if he gives us tomorrow. Amen? You know, I say, I, you know I'm not, I, I've just kind of let the, I, I've let, 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 let the Lord down. Hey, it's, it doesn't matter how you start. It's how you finish is what counts here. Finish strong. Finish well. Don't give up the fight. Following Jesus will cost you greatly. It's that broad way versus narrow way that he was talking about. But if you choose to obey Jesus' calling to follow, it might just cost you some things. It might cost you some family relationships. It might cost you some friendships. It might cost you some things. But it's all worth it. It's all worth it in the end. And if you really believe that, then you will obey it, okay? You obey what you believe. And so with that, let us close our, our, our Bibles this morning. Bow your head and close your eyes. And let's uh, just remain seated for a minute here. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. This morning, are you saved by grace? Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? If you're, if you're not saved this morning, do not leave this service without getting that settled. There's no more better time than right now. The devil's whispering in your ear, wait till next week. But you do not know, and I don't know what next week holds. So if you're not saved this morning, God is calling to you and saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. We're going to have a baptism in just a few seconds. That's not for salvation. That's that's because they did get saved. They did get saved. And I want you to get saved. And God wants you to get saved this morning. And so uh, in a second, when the, when the prayer, when I say amen and the pianist plays, I'm going to say, let's come to the front. And you that want to get saved, that need to get saved this morning, you come. You come. You don't have to understand everything. We'll counsel you through the word. It's your, your choice. This is up to you. But uh, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Secondly, Christian, are you submitted to the Lord of grace? Are you submitted uh, in this area of soul winning? Many people uh, are not doing what they know God wants them to do. And for some, a lot of it is, I don't know where to start. That might be your problem. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do this. That's not, I'm not good at it. It's not my thing. <laughs> I'll give to missions, but I'm not going to, uh, I don't know how to be a missionary. But that's okay. 
Like I said, you come Saturday morning, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. You, come, you, call up, you call me up this week. You call my wife up this week, ladies. You say, Mrs. Hoover, Pastor Hoover, I just want to know how to be a soul winner. I want to be able to witness to my family. I want to witness to my neighbor. And uh, just like those that are coming for counseling for salvation, you want to come and talk to one of us, we'd be happy to talk to you today and uh, show you how you can be a witness for Christ. And we need to make a difference in this world. There's no more time to waste. It's not getting any better, is it? And uh, we are running out of time. And, 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 and we need to be faithful in this area of witnessing. So this morning, what I want you to do is just the very least, at the very least, just pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender all. And I, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my life. I'm give you my time. What I have left, what I have, I, I want you to have it, God, and it is yours. And, and Lord, you direct me. That should be your prayer this morning. You, you direct me to how you want me to do this. I, I truly believe that God doesn't call uh, the... Uh, the equipped, he equips the called, okay? And so when God calls you to do something, you have to take that step of faith, but he will equip you, he will give you the instruction, and he will empower you to do his work. So I want you in the very least, you come and you pray this morning, just, just pray the Lord. It doesn't even have to be about those two things, but you just come and pray. Encourage somebody else to come out to this altar. We have an old-fashioned altar in our church, and I love the fact that we have it. So many churches are, are jettisoning the altar, but I think it's important that we make public professions of our faith and public profession, our public uh, decisions. So it's important that we do this. So let's stand to our feet. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless this time of invitation. Uh, use it in a mighty way, Lord. I pray that many would make good decisions. Good decisions. And uh, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified. Because God, you deserve it. Uh, Lord, you have... Um, you have given us everything. And, and you just want us to love you in return. And yes, that includes obedience. But Lord, that's the very least that we should be doing. Uh, we, we've been saved from, our, from hell. But Lord, I pray for those that are not saved this morning that you would convict them of that and that they would get that settled once and for all and that this would be a glorious day for them. And that they would know that their sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that heaven is their home and have that eternal assurance. Lord, I pray that you bless all that is said and done in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name.